Hello, PASS members. Welcome to the PASS Weekly Update Podcast. My name is Kim. I'm a community pharmacist working in Saskatoon, and I often find myself wishing that my emails would read themselves. Unfortunately, no one is planning to read my emails to me, but I'm going to read your email to you. I'm very busy having a holiday right now, so I've been doing a lot of um, things that I enjoy, such as sleeping in and uh, lounging on my deck, reading books, hanging out with friends, that kind of stuff, and I want to get back to it. So without further ado, let us dissect the past weekly update from June 25th, 2021. I'm pulling up the email. The first thing that we want to check out is the past document entitled COVID-19 in Community Pharmacies. It was last updated June 25th, and I'm going to scroll through it and find the new stuff for us. There's a reminder that for in-province patients whose COVID-19 immunization is not appearing on Panorama, we are to email dpebimmunizations at health.gov.sk.ca the following info. Patient name, date of birth, HSN, type of vaccine, date of immunization, first or second dose, location of pharmacy or clinic where it was received. And they will presumably correct it. There's a reminder regarding adverse events following immunization. For pharmacists reporting, you need to complete your form and send to the local public health clinic. You do not need to contact 811. New types of vaccine being provided to pharmacy. There's a reduced Pfizer stock for the week of July 12th and July 19th. It says here, Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine stock will be significantly reduced for the weeks of July 12th and 19th. However, Moderna vaccine supply has increased substantially. A Pfizer plant is shutting down temporarily to enhance their facility to allow for increased production going forwards. As a result, Pfizer vaccine supply for Canada, and as a result, Saskatchewan, will be significantly reduced. Pfizer vaccine stock is expected to return to normal allocations the week of July 26th. It's cool to know why this shortage is expected, and actually that seems pretty fast, so I'm less mad now. There is ample stock of Moderna in the province right now. Because of that, some pharmacies will be asked to switch vaccine to Moderna. Pharmacies with human resource capacity may also request an increased allocation and work through growing wait lists using Moderna stock. Please find complete information including details on how to switch vaccine brands in the email sent to managers from the drug plan on June 25th. Updated mixing COVID-19 vaccine second doses. Pharmacists and other authorized injectors have been given the authority to mix COVID-19 vaccine doses. All brands require two doses are interchangeable with a minimum 28-day interval. Bookings must still follow provincial sequencing guidelines. Only Pfizer can be given to 12 to 17-year-old patients. Do not offer Moderna as an option to this age group. Updated for more information, you can see this FAQ document. As well, there is an excellent resource and talking points about mixing doses from the University of Waterloo. I clicked on the link for the FAQ document, but it just took me to the homepage of the Sask Drug Plan website. I poked around a little bit on the formulary website, but I haven't found the FAQ document that they were trying to link for us, so I'm going to throw the towel in and move on to the U of Waterloo document. Alright, I'm looking at it. University of Waterloo School of Pharmacy. Is it okay to mix Moderna and Pfizer vaccines to complete my vaccine series? Yes, if you got a Moderna or Pfizer mRNA vaccine for dose 1, vaccine experts in Canada have said you can have either vaccine for dose 2. This is based on what we know about how vaccines work and experience with other vaccines. They go on to provide us some talking points. Question, how are the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines similar? 
Answer. Moderna and Pfizer both use mRNA as the active ingredient. mRNA is a molecule that instructs your cells to produce the coronavirus spike protein. Your immune system then makes antibodies and memory cells that can respond if you are exposed to COVID-19. Clinical trial results for Moderna and Pfizer were similar. In real-world studies, both give excellent protection, including against variants. Question, how are the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines different? Answer, there are small differences in the lipids, salts, and stabilizers that the vaccines use to deliver mRNA to your body. There are also small differences in the mRNA molecules. Both vaccines instruct your body to make the same full version of the spike protein. Experts do not think that these differences matter for your immune response. Question, why am I being offered a different mRNA vaccine for dose 2? Answer, a changing vaccine supply may mean that the vaccine you got for dose 1 is not available when you get dose 2. Many people will be offered a different mRNA vaccine for dose 2 than they got for dose 1. Question, is mixing safe? Answer, yes, mixing is safe. Moderna and Pfizer are both very safe vaccines. The most common side effects after mRNA vaccines are a sore arm, headache, tiredness, fever, and muscle aches. Side effects are expected to be similar if you have a different mRNA vaccine for dose 2. Question, have we mixed vaccines before? Answer, it is common to mix different brands of vaccines to complete a series. For example, different brands of vaccines for tetanus, polio, and hepatitis have been combined. Question, will mixing protect me as well as two doses of the same vaccine? Answer, while we don't have data yet about mixing mRNA vaccines, expert consensus tells us that mixing Moderna and Pfizer will protect as well as two doses of either vaccine. Question, can I just wait to get the same vaccine I had for dose one? Answer, getting fully vaccinated with the first approved vaccine you are offered will give you the best protection from COVID-19, including variants like Delta, sooner. We don't know how long you will have to wait to get the same brand of vaccine for dose two. Very nice. Thank you, you of Waterloo. Updated rapid COVID-19 testing for asymptomatic pharmacy facility staff. Updated steps to participate. One, complete test to protect intake application form. Two, email to the provided email address right here. Three, once your organization has been approved to participate, you will be sent a test to protect registration checklist that will need to be completed and returned by email. The checklist includes the following info. Access to the PanBio online training course, community antigen testing playbook, instructions on how to report testing data through web form. Four, you will also receive details to register for one of the live Q&A WebEx sessions to discuss any concerns you have following the online self-study materials. Five, a member of the registration team will contact you within three days of the approval process to discuss your go-live plan and answer any questions or concerns you may have. Tests will be sent and received within five to six days of requests. Questions about the program can be directed to, and there's a website, or sorry, an email here, antigen testing intake at saskhealthauthority.ca. I was daydreaming about um, doing like a mini episode on this and I still might, it's just honestly I feel overwhelmed by it, it's a lot of work. I'm already full time and I kind of want to spend my vacation like laying on my deck in the sunshine so it may or may not happen but we'll see. If I'm motivated sufficiently then I will make you an episode where I sign up for this. New Myocarditis Post-COVID-19 Immunization 
Myocarditis and pericarditis following immunization with COVID-19 mRNA vaccines has been reported in young adults and adolescents. In most cases, patients who presented for medical care have responded well to medications and rest and had prompt improvement of symptoms. Reported cases have occurred predominantly in male adolescents and young adults 16 years of age and older. Onset was typically within several days after mRNA COVID-19 vaccine and cases have occurred more often after the second dose than the first dose. Linked here is a letter from the Ministry of Health. It says to, lists a whole bunch of uh, stakeholders, regarding reports of myocarditis, pericarditis, post-COVID-19 immunization. Dear colleagues, on June 3, 2021, the Public Health Agency of Canada released a communique to health practitioners regarding reports of myocarditis and pericarditis after COVID-19 vaccination, which is attached to this letter. Public Health Agency of Canada and Health Canada are monitoring international reports of myocarditis and pericarditis following vaccination with COVID-19 mRNA vaccines in young adults and adolescents. In most cases, patients who presented for medical care have responded well. Okay, this is the same words we just read. Mm -hmm. Please read the communique and report any suspected cases of myocarditis or pericarditis post-COVID-19 immunization to local public health using the National Adverse Event Following Immunization Reporting form. Dr. Saqib Shahab. I'm going to click on that link for the communique. Not sure if that's a common lingo that's used to describe something like this or if they were feeling spicy and making it a little bit French. I clicked on the link that was provided, but it just took me to the Government of Canada website and it's got the webpage for adverse events following immunization reporting form. It doesn't actually specifically talk about the myocarditis, pericarditis. Oh, I went back into our past uh, document and it does have the communique linked there. It's three pages. The first one's a cover page, so let us scroll in. Background. In May 2021, international reports of myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, and pericarditis, inflammation of the lining around the heart, following vaccination with COVID-19 mRNA vaccines emerged, including from Israel and the U.S. Available information indicates that cases were more commonly reported after the second dose. Symptom onset was typically within several days after vaccination. Cases were mainly adolescents and young adults. Cases were more often males compared to females. Cases experienced mild illness responded well to conservative treatment and rest, and their symptoms improved quickly. Follow-up is ongoing. No clear association has been established between myocarditis, pericarditis, and mRNA vaccines, and to date no regulatory action has been taken in Canada or internationally. Situation in Canada. As part of ongoing COVID-19 vaccine safety efforts, the Public Health Agency of Canada and Health Canada are closely monitoring myocarditis, pericarditis, and passive and active Canadian safety surveillance systems, including the Canadian Adverse Events Following Immunization Surveillance System, the Canadian Vigilance Program, the Canada National Vaccine Safety Network, and the Canadian Immunization Monitoring Program Active Impact. In Canada, there have been a small number of reports of pericarditis myocarditis following vaccination with a COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. However, it is important to note that adverse events occurring after vaccination are not necessarily related to the vaccine. Based on the few reports received in Canada, we are not currently seeing higher rates than would be expected in the general population. The Canadian Weekly Online Adverse Events Report provides updates on the latest numbers. 
Diagnosis and reporting. Myocarditis and pericarditis both involve inflammation of the heart in response to an infection or some other trigger. Symptoms can include shortness of breath, chest pain, or the feeling of rapid or abnormal heart rhythm. Healthcare providers should consider myocarditis and pericarditis in evaluation of acute chest pain or pressure, arrhythmia, shortness of breath, or other clinically comparable symptoms after vaccination. They should consider doing an ECG, troponins, and an echocardiogram in consultation with a cardiologist. It would also be important to rule out other potential causes of myocarditis and pericarditis. As such, consultation with infectious disease and or rheumatology is recommended to assist in this evaluation, particularly for acute COVID-19 infection, prior SARS-CoV-2 infection, and other viral etiologies. All cases of myocarditis or pericarditis following vaccination should be reported to the local health authority. Health Canada, Public Health Agency of Canada, and the provincial and territorial health authorities will continue to closely monitor reports of myocarditis and or pericarditis. Health Canada is also working closely with the manufacturers and international regulators to review information as it becomes available and will take appropriate action as needed. More info will be shared as it becomes available. The benefits of the mRNA vaccines continue to outweigh their risks in the authorized populations, as there are clear benefits from mRNA vaccines in reducing death and hospitalization due to COVID-19 infection. When I was at work on June 25th, there was a woman who came to the pharmacy and she needed some prescriptions filled. She had traveled from an outlying community because her son had just had what she called a heart attack after his second dose of mRNA vaccine. And I believe she said he was like 19 to 20 years old. So this is interesting because it could potentially be related. It could also not be. I'm back in our past document here and there is one more new update for us. It says new, reopen SASC. As the province begins to lift restrictions, PASS will add details of each change that may affect pharmacy practice here. New, all public health measures to be lifted July 11th. With over 70% of residents over the age of 18 having received their first dose and 69% of all residents over the age of 12 having received their first dose, Saskatchewan is announcing that the full implementation of Step 3 of the reopening roadmap will occur on Sunday, July 11th. That means that as of July 11th, all public health orders will be removed. This includes the removal of the province-wide mandatory masking order and the removal of limits on events and gathering sizes. Self-isolation changes. With a few exceptions, anyone who is 14 days past their second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine at time of exposure and is asymptomatic no longer has to isolate when named as a close contact of a COVID-19 positive person. For more info, you can go to the Government of Sask website where they detail self-isolation requirements changing to consider fully vaccinated. Huzzah! That is 15 pages long now and I'm going back into our email. Now we are going to check out our Sask Health Authority update for health partners. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is from June 25th, and first off, there's a message from Scott Livingstone, Chief Executive Officer of the Sask Health Authority, and this is entitled, Tragic Discovery at Maryvale Indian Residential School. Today it was announced that 751 unmarked graves were found at the site of the former Maryvale Indian Residential School on Cowasses First Nation in Southeast Sask. This is an absolutely heartbreaking discovery. As shocking as this news is, we cannot claim that these discoveries are surprising. 
Volume 4 of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission final report is titled Canada's Residential Schools, Missing Children and Unmarked Burials. In painstaking detail, this volume of the report documents through extensive testimony and statistical analysis that children in these schools died at disproportionately high rates. And when they died, the report notes their parents often went uninformed. Their graves were often unmarked or severely neglected and little effort was made to count how many died or where they were buried. As Canadian citizens, we should be embarrassed. We treated the passing of young children with complete indifference. We valued these children so little that we accorded their burial and documentation and notification of their deaths with less reverence than we often accord the passing of a family pet. As a parent, this is heart-wrenching. We often use overly abstract phrases like intergenerational trauma to try to describe the hurt caused. Sometimes we need to put more plainly what we did. We coerced communities to send their kids away from their parents, with many never to see their home communities or families again. If it were your kid, would you ever forget? If it were your child, would you ever stop hurting? It isn't just the news about the Kamloops Residential School last month that makes the Kawasis discovery unsurprising. Volume 4 of the Truth and Reconciliation Report has 200 plus pages of statistics, stories, and documentation of what happened, and a proper reading of our history demonstrates that for generations we treated Indigenous people as inferior, affording their culture no respect and granting their traditions no dignity or space to flourish. Recognizing this is critical to acknowledging how long we have ignored the issue and how poorly we understand our own history. More stories like the discoveries at Kamloops and Kawasis will come. We must react with resolve rather than surprise. As healthcare providers, we must be willing to relook at our own history and role in marginalizing generations of Indigenous people. To do so, we must be willing to relearn our history because the history we were taught is not the history that Indigenous people experienced. Support is available for anyone affected by the experience at residential schools and those who are triggered by the latest reports. A national Indian residential school crisis line has been set up to provide support for former students and those affected. People can access emotional and crisis referral services by calling the 24-hour National Crisis Line, 1-866-925-4419. If you want to do more, it's it's easy to find resources and education, candlelight vigils, marches, smudging ceremonies. Go to social media, check out your news outlets, talk to your friends. There's a lot going on right now, especially with July 1st upcoming. So try to be woke, my friends. And with that, we will carry on with our Sask Health Authority update. The next article here talks about the delay in the shipment of Pfizer vaccine, as well as interchangeability of vaccines. I feel like we're pretty well informed about that, so I'm going to just skip over it. This is interesting. It's entitled, What Happens in Sask Health Authority Facilities, July 11th. As the government of Saskatchewan moves into recovery for COVID-19 and the province enters Step 3 of Sask's reopening roadmap on July 11th by removing all remaining public health restrictions, including masking, Many people are wondering what this means for SHA procedures and directives. It is paramount that some procedures and guidelines remain in place for SHA facilities to reduce the risk of variants of concern and further waves of COVID-19 to patients, residents, healthcare providers. For healthcare, it is not business as usual, and so safety directives such as masking and the use of PPE will remain in place in SHA facilities and long-term care homes until the risks of COVID-19 are effectively controlled. 
As we continue to care for COVID-19 patients and those with health care needs arising from COVID-19, we must remain vigilant against COVID-19, continue the delivery of our COVID-19 immunization program, and continue with our test to protect strategy. We strongly encourage all healthcare providers and members of the public to visit our testing centers and participate in our community antigen testing program. While the public health order will soon be lifting in the community, our provincial health system will continue adhering to many COVID-19 related infection prevention and control policies and procedures. SHA will monitor the situation, reassessing and adjusting as required as the COVID-19 pandemic evolves. Changes to procedures will be communicated as these arise. We must continue our fight against COVID-19 and protect our most vulnerable. Together, we will overcome the challenges of this pandemic and keep our communities, facilities and loved ones safe. There are then a couple of human interest stories. The first one is about Dr. Jessica Minion. And the second one is about profusionists and their heart-stopping work. The title says profusionists, but the body of the text says perfusionist. And I believe that perfusionist is correct. A major part of a perfusionist's job is cardiopulmonary bypass, which involves operation of the heart-lung machine. Cool. If you wish to check those out, please do. However, I'm on a mission and I'm taking us back into our past email. There's been some updates to that map of immunizations from NPAC, so check that out if you're interested. I'm not going to read you the details because it is full of minutia. Additional updates, if you haven't already, you should renew your past membership. As well, the Pass Weekly Podcast exists, and it is uh, really fun, and you should tell your friends about it. We've got a couple of updates from NIHB. New in this edition, general info on the extension of COVID-19 interim measures and accessing NIHB statements online. There is a new augmentative and alternative communication requisition and prior approval form. And there are reminders as they pertain to prosthetics, gloves, claim submission kits, and prescription requirements. It's long, so I'm not going to read everything in here to you, but if it is relevant to your practice, you should check these out. And back in the past email, CDSA exemptions have been extended to 2026. Section 56 of the CDSA exemption permitting pharmacists to prescribe controlled substances in Canada will be extended until September 30, 2026. CPHA has been actively advocating for these exemptions to be extended and made permanent through an extensive federal outreach campaign. Over the last few months, they met with over 25 federal officials, matching frontline pharmacists with their MPs to share how their experiences supported their practice throughout the pandemic. While it's believed these exemptions recognize the vital role of pharmacists in opioid management, they continue to advocate for further federal regulatory changes to enable pharmacists to practice to full scope, notably by adding pharmacists as practitioners under the CDSA. I tell you what, this has been big time handy for our oat patients in particular. All right, we're into the webinars and education section of our email. There's a new online course called PharmaZ Non-Medication Therapy for Insomnia taking place June 24th. That was on Thursday, but it's online. Let me click on it. I don't know why that date was on there. It doesn't seem like it matters, uh, but I'll tell you what does. It says PharmaZ is CPDPP accredited for five CEUs. There's a registration fee at 200 bucks for early bird registration until September 1st, 2021. 
250 regular, 150 bucks as a refresher for people that previously enrolled in the course, $75 for out-of-province pharmacy students, non-use ask. There's a link here, you can register for the course. Uh, they also have a link that tells you a little bit more about the course. It says, Pharmacy is an online program for pharmacists to enhance their knowledge and skills in assisting patients to improve their sleep and stop or reduce the use of hypnotic medications. Excellent, that could be very useful. There's also a link here for that course we've been talking about through University of Alberta called Indigenous Canada. I've said it before and I will say it again, uh, it's very visually interesting. Um, and I'm just chipping away at it gradually. It's going to take a, a long time, but I think it's definitely important. There is also some information here about a webinar being offered by CADIF, an update on COVID-19 vaccines. This is taking place Tuesday, July 6th, 2021 from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, if memory serves correctly, that would be like 10 a.m. for us. And it's going to be an update talking about is herd immunity achievable? Are vaccines the answer to the pandemic? An expert panel is going to cut through uncertainty with direct answers to these and other important questions. There is no cost to register and it's going to be done by Zoom webinar so you can enroll in that if your heart desires. Alright friends, with that we have conquered our past weekly update from June 25th, 2021. Now I'm going to go and put my feet up and read my book on the deck in the sunshine. Yeah.